Yeah, it's okay to clap and thank God that he is faithful. Thank you, Jesus, that you're the center of the world and in you all things consist and you hold all things together. We honor you in this house. We honor you as the rock is our firm foundation. And Lord, as we open up your word and share our hearts together, we do pray. Lord, would you bake the bread in our hearts. Open us up again to the fullness of your presence, to your great love and your great care for us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow, family, all the emotions and the richness of it and uh, what I call the beautiful terrible. Uh, Times to weep together, times to rejoice together. Uh, That's what family is made for. That's what the people of God are made for. And uh, for those that are new, just to reintroduce ourselves, uh, Laura and I, my wife and I, we had the privilege of getting a group of friends together and starting Antioch Community Church in 1999. And the Martins were a part of that journey and have been uh, all of these years with us as well. And uh, family is the, the centerpiece of the way we view life, the way we um, think about things. is always in the context of family and, and God's family. But I wanted to just reintroduce, and again, for those who've been around a while, I love this picture, so you get to see it again. And uh, this was our youngest son. Uh, he got married. He and Kendall got married June 17th. And so this is our clan, kind of left to right. Kyle and our daughter Abby, three grand boys, uh, uh, Miles and Levi and Elias, and she is pregnant with our sixth grandchild, a little girl to come, January 21st. There is Caleb, our man of God. They all live in Washington, D.C. and serve in our Antioch, D.C. church plant. Kendall and uh, Daniel, they live here and both uh, work uh, in, in the city. And um, then there's Laura and I, and, and I always have to say, I know you think this is another daughter of mine, but that's actually my wife. Uh, I'm the old guy there. And then uh, Lauren and Brady, and she was pregnant in that picture because she was about to have our first granddaughter, Hazel Lily. Beauty, isn't she amazing? So yeah, that makes five grandkids. Sometimes I get the number wrong up front here, just for those who are asking. Uh, we have five grandkids, four grandboys, one granddaughter, and one more granddaughter on the way. So that is our family. Well, one of the things that our family uh, would love to do uh, uh, on family nights was get a family movie together. And the older we get, you know, we go to some movies uh, out of the theater together, and they always laugh at me because I cry a lot during movies. Anything that's family, anybody who extends grace or forgiveness or anything like that that goes on, um, I'm crying. And um, so this summer, the number one movie of the summer was Top Gun Maverick, all right? And I know most of y'all saw it because they made $1.3 billion. So most of you have seen it. If you haven't, it, I, there's not many things I would say are worthy in the movie arena, but this was worthy of a visit. So, um, and I cried through Top Gun. And you guys are like, how can you cry in Top Gun? 
And I said, because it's the story. It's just the story that Tom Cruise, he had a second chance. And then there was conflict and unforgiveness that they needed to be resolved. And then they resolved it and the team came together and they had a common enemy. And then Tom, who became the guy that got the second chance, became the Christ figure that went ahead of everyone at great sacrifice, willing to lose his life to lead the team to take out the enemy to get victory. That was Top Gun. Wow. And I want to take you into it, right back into it right now. The end is inevitable, Maverick. You're kind of headed for extinction. Maybe so, sir. But not today. Let me finish preaching before you run out to the theater to, uh, to re-see that. Now, one of the things that some of you guys may not know is that when the first one was coming out, I was in college, and Tom Cruise and I are about the same age. And so they had actually interviewed me for the job as well. That's me in college. Carl wanted me to show you, re-show you that picture. So there's Tom and I, and in the end, he went out because my calling was to be a pastor, not a movie star. Um, and though we looked alike then, I jokingly say he retained a little bit of the V. I became more of a pear shape. So, uh, so why do we love the story of redemption? Why, why do we love those stories of forgiveness? And why are we so taken into it over and over and over again? Because it's our story. It's every person's story. It's what you're made for. You're made uh, and created by God that you might have value and worth and purpose and a plan. You're made to be saved and rescued and then out of that turning to be a rescuer yourselves. So many times we throw up the big picture of the story of God that I want you to look at again today. And I wanna just remind us, you were created in the image of God. Genesis 3 is where everything changed. Man is deceived. They go, we go our way instead of God's way. That brings brokenness. God, out of his mercy, initiates with a man named Abraham and says, I've got a hope and a future for you and all generations. And he begins to display that through a people called Israel. When Israel honors God, they display his glory. And when they don't, they live in great pain. But because they couldn't be all they were meant to be through the law, God came himself in the person of Jesus Christ. He came not to abolish the law, but to complete the law by grace alone because we couldn't get there on our efforts. God came to us. And in through the cross, he became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God and enter into the story that we were made for, not by our own efforts, but by trusting in him alone. 
And God then uh, uh, not only demonstrates it, but as he ascends to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit and he bursts the church, the people of God, just as in the Old Testament, Israel's display the glory of God. Now in the New Testament, we house and display the glory of God as his people and his church. And it's not just for one nation, the nation of Israel, but it's for Gentiles as well. It's for all people and anyone who names the name of Jesus is a part of this glorious grace that God has poured out in and through his church to restore all things, to redeem all things, to point to all things, and to get people back into the story they were made for. And ultimately, at the end of our lives, if we have chosen Christ in this life, we will be in heaven forever. And then the scripture says there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, and the one that we loved and honored in this life, we will rule and reign with forever and ever. Amen. I know you know that story, even though you may not know it intellectually, it's in your heart. You're made for it. Uh, let's go back to the second slide. You see, the question is not if the story's true because it's 100% true. The question is, where are you in the story? Where are you in the story? Where are you today in that story? And how do you kind of get back into the story if you've drifted from the storyline that God has for you? Let me begin again. Carl shared this last week. I want to always begin in Genesis. Genesis 1, one more time to center up on the reality of God's story in us. God created man, you and I, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is us, you guys. God blessed you. <laughs> he celebrated, he rejoiced over your birth. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over the animals of the earth, and so on and so forth. And it says, take dominion, come bring God's rule and reign in the earth by your own submission and love for God. May his love be made manifest and may his rule and reign be seen again in every broken space on the planet. If there is brokenness in business, then he is filling you with the Holy Spirit to redeem uh, and to do it God's way. If there's brokenness in sports, which there is, he's, getting, he's wanting to redeem it and put it in its right place. If there's brokenness in politics, he's wanting to redeem it. If there's brokenness, obviously, among the poor or the rich, whatever the, uh, whatever the broken place is, God is wanting to fill us with the Holy Spirit to be his expression of glory in all the earth. Wow, that's a big, big calling. But the, the, the thing that I want you to note this morning and where we're gonna spend the rest of our time is right there in the middle. World history is determined about what you think about this man. What you think about and your response to this God-man, Jesus Christ, will determine your destiny, will determine your family's destiny, will determine your purpose on this earth, whether it was a value or not, whether it was rich or not. This person is the determiner of all of world history. And what you say about him and how you respond to him or how I respond to him will determine all of life. So I want to take some time here to focus on Jesus, which we call having a passion for Jesus. Matthew 16, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Well, how do you see him? 
who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that would ignite, again, Peter's calling. And even in his failure, he'd have a place to come back to that he saw Jesus for who he is. So let me give you a few reminders of who Jesus is and then turn us into how to be fully in his story. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. How does God speak to us? Through his son, in his son. Yes, he uses the whole, the Holy Spirit is the voice of God. Yes, the Father is the, the, uh, the, the glory of God. The Father is the eternal leader of, of, of the Trinity. All these beautiful things of uh, the God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But everything is made manifest in the life of Jesus. When we look, when we're looking for God, we look at Jesus. When we want to know what God's like, we look at Jesus. And they're affirming this through the scriptures. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Colossians 1, 13 through 18, for he rescued us, speaking of Jesus, from the domain of darkness, and he transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. This is Jesus. And in our college days, Laura and I came to that place where we had to decide, are we going to follow religion or are we going to follow the person of Jesus? And so we began to read the scriptures and say, what does Jesus say about how to live life? What does Jesus say about what is possible in our relationship with him? What is Jesus all about? And we're going to waste our life and give our lives to Jesus. We're going to put him in first place. We're going to make him our first love, and we're going to trust him with our lives. That decision in college to break from the world and religion and to break towards Jesus literally has affected generations. It affected us marrying each other. It affected our children. Now it affects our grandchildren. It's affected the people we've invested in. It affected the way we lived our lives. It's affected anywhere and everywhere that we've gone. That one decision to make Jesus Lord and then to commit to keep coming back to first love, to first place, to first importance has been the very thing that has allowed us to constantly live in purpose in the midst of brokenness. What decision will you make today? And if you have drifted, would you come back? God is always inviting us back into the story because Jesus, Jesus is the one in whom all things consist and he holds all things together. As I said earlier, and as you see, hopefully all around the church, the phrase we use is a passion for Jesus. So let me just explain a little bit. What does it mean to have a passion uh, for Jesus other than just believing in Jesus or trusting in Jesus? Why do we use the word passion? 
Um, Jesus said that all the law is wrapped up in this. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the totality, basically, Jesus said, that I'm trying to get you to understand and to live by. That word heart, it, it literally in the, um, in the Greek and or in the Hebrew, means this. It's the centerpiece of affections. It's the center of desires. It's the center of your being. It's what we would call your gut. It is the, it's not just this thing that beats. It's the center of your passions and affections. And so if, if you were to put it in this way, uh, love God with all of your affections, with all of your imagination, with all of your reasoning, with all of your desire, with all of your longings. That's how we're to love God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And again, we can use the word passion, to be passionate. And again, passions are so obvious all around us. We have a passion for a sports team. And so we wildly, you know, people who are uncomfortable with someone dancing in church are dancing at the Cowboys game. Uh, maybe not these days, but I mean, but in the past, we used to do that. The, the amount of momentum you can get going in a sporting event is overwhelming at times, right? And it's a passion. Now, again, enjoy the sport, but don't give it your main passion, right? I would always ask the kids often, does daddy love Jesus more than everything else? I'd ask them around the table cyclically, and I remember one time Caleb said, you like sports a lot. <laughs> and he paused and he said, Okay, not more than Jesus. All right, thank you. Praise the Lord. That means I need to take the dial down a little bit. We have passions for food, right? Food conversations become worship sessions. Did you eat that? Did you eat that? Or when you're really, oh, the buffet, it's like, whoa, you know, uh, the, the, the buffet, you know. We have food passions. We have music passions, of course. Billions and billions of dollars. And what's the latest this, that, and the other? And music passions. It pulls on our heartstrings. And we said, oh, this is, this is it. We just get lost again in music. And music can be God-directed and beautiful. And it can be love-directed and clean and all that stuff. But remember, it's just a vehicle ultimately to get us to God or to remind us of the passion that we're made for, and those are the songs of the Lord. Then, of course, we have dark passions. We, uh, something as beautiful as relationships or sexuality turns dark and broken outside of the context of God, or something that God meant for good, to, to make a living, to have purpose in what we do in our vocation becomes an idol, and these good things become destructive because they become first love, first importance, first place, and they take the place of God, and we get robbed of our heart's passion that is made for him. So when we say we're passionate for Jesus, we're saying above all others, God, we want to love you. Now, here's where, here's where I want to make the turn and, and, and um, kind of land everything from this morning that I want you to take away. The older I get, I'm now 58 years old, I am absolutely convinced that we love because he first loved us. That without being loved, there is no way for me to love God. The more I understand of his incredible, lavish love and care for me, the more I will respond out of love and desire for him. Without knowing that I am loved, I can never fully love. The scripture said, fully you receive and fully you give. And so I was reviewing with scripture. So what does the Bible say about God's love for us that we need to know in order to be passionate lovers of him? 
Here's what, here's what 1 John 4, 10 said, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the cover for our sins. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. What I know is every person in this room is longing to be loved. Even you tough guys out there say, I don't need nothing. I don't need nothing. That's right, because you aren't loved well. You need everything. You, you're revealing your need every time you say that, by the way. So I really know what's going on, so you can pull that if you want. But anyway, okay. So everybody wants to be loved. So what, is, what does it mean to be loved, okay? Now, I've got three points. He sees and pursues. He forgives fully, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. How do I know that I'm loved. What does a real God-loving relationship look like? Number one, he sees you and pursues you. Wow. Um, when, when somebody wants to know they're a value, you call them by their name. You kind of point them out in the middle of a crowd or you accentuate something of beauty or grace or something uh, about their lives that is beautiful. We see Jesus doing this. There was a guy named Nathaniel uh, in um, John 1, it said, Nathaniel, um, uh, Jesus had called his name, and Nathaniel said, how do you know me? <laughs> and Jesus answered Nathaniel and said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Man, he didn't need a whole lot, did he? <laughs> I saw you under a tree. Oh, I'm yours forever. Somebody saw me. I was of value for a moment in time for the first time in my life. And he's already giving his whole life to Jesus. Wow. Nathaniel said, because I said, Jesus, Jesus then was a little put, struck, like, wow. Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, you now believe? You will see greater things than this, Nathaniel. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Whoa! <laughs> One person who they were seen by God began to respond, oh my goodness, I, couldn't be I can't believe it's that good, God, I am yours. And Jesus said, because you have looked my way, I'm gonna do above and beyond all that you could even ask or think. It's what you believe about God that determines your destiny. Absolutely, 100%. Here's another person, Peter, right? Jesus called Peter, and he said, Peter, I'm calling you. And, 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 he, and he switched his name, and he said, now you're now called the rock, and on you I will build my church. Peter, you're not just a wild fisherman. You're now a rock on which I'm gonna build the church. And then he tells Peter ahead of time, Peter, you're gonna fail, and when you fail, I'll be there to restore you. Peter, of course, says, I'm not gonna fail you, you know, so on and so forth. Jesus even not only calls him the rock, but says, I'm setting up for your failure ahead of time so that you can still be the rock even though you fall short. Whoa, come on. Every person in this room fails. I have failed thousands of times. You have failed, you will fail. But Jesus has set up ahead of time to redeem what he's called you from the beginning to be regardless of the failure. The righteous fail seven times and get up again. The scripture says we're to forgive 70 times 70, and these are not exact numbers. They're trying to get through our head that it's never over till it's over. And God has a purpose and a plan for your life, and in the failure so many times is what he uses to actually get to your purpose. Because it's no longer about you, but it's about him. So he saw Peter, he called him, he placed him again into the centrality of his story 
of, of his intention for mankind through his failure. Here's one of my favorite stories about Jesus seeing and pursuing the woman caught in adultery. I mean, you guys, it's, 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 it's the story of Unbound, of what we do Unbound now, right? We see you, we know you, so we are creating a whole arm here to find you and to be there for you and to help you get restored in the name of Jesus. But this is the story of the gospel, the woman caught in adultery. And you've heard me tell this before, but let me just review again. The basic understanding would be if a woman was um, um, prostituting herself, usually it meant in those times, that, in a, especially from a Jewish background, that there had been some abuse in her life. She was unclean because somebody had violated her and she was not able to be given in marriage as a virgin or a pure bride. So what was her option to go prostitute herself? And that, so many of the, the majority were prostituted because they had been violated by another. So God sees the poor, the broken, the abused, and he purposefully shows up in that space. This woman is caught in the act of adultery, thrown at his feet, and uh, again, you're familiar with the story. They're, they're saying, what should we do, Jesus? They're trying to trap him, saying to stone him. And again, my favorite part of that story is not just the power of forgiveness where, he's, uh, where he says, let him who has a, uh, no sin cast the first stone. But this little phrase, it says, the older ones walked away first and the younger ones followed. Here's something about being old that'll offer you, <laughs> to offer you. That is we understand that we're all sinners. We understand that we've all failed. And when it's pointed out, we put the stones down and we lead the young ones to grace. Just drop the stones, man. Just drop the stones of accusation towards so many people. All the, just drop the stones. Because here's what Jesus does. He, he says, he's down, down with her, you know, kind of messing around in the sand, and so many people have tried to say, what was he writing? I don't know. He's just messing around in the sand. So uh, that's what I do. Uh, and so he's, he's thinking and praying, of course, and he, he lifts the woman's head. The way I see it, he just lifts her head. He said, look around you. Who condemns you? And she said, no one, Lord. And then he just says, now go and sin no more. Because I have loved you so thoroughly, now there's power for you not to sin anymore. It was the love that gave the power. The ability to not sin is, to, is, the ability, is, is empowered by this idea that the love of God is so great and so good. Why would I want another love? The love of God and the forgiveness of God breaks off the yoke of sin for those who trust in him. He pursues you. He pursues us. And I, I, I uh, often think so many times of God's personal pursuit uh, of me uh, as a young man, uh, just my own broken home, broken life, and somewhere God put this thought in my mind, I wonder if God's real. And I would go and sit in the back of churches, and I would try to listen to I, if God's real. Is he here? And uh, the, the first couple of churches, I didn't uh, get an idea that he was there. <laughs> and then God, out of his mercy, saw, saw my need, pursued me through my brother, shared the gospel came to Jesus, um, and it would begin to change everything in my life. But when I go back to it, yes, I had to humble myself and say yes to Jesus, but his, it was his pursuit of me that was so stunning that he didn't leave me on my own alone. 
Uh, can I say this, that God is pursuing you right now, right in this moment. He's, he's pursuing you. He's wooing you through the songs, through the testimonies, through, through what we're preaching about here. He's wooing you. So the deal is when God is wooing you or when, you, when, when he's pursuing you, you got to then turn. you got to say, okay, Lord, I humble myself. That's how I came to Christ. Lord, I humble myself. Forgive me my sin. I come in. But throughout my life, whenever I'm feeling lonely, whenever I'm feeling like I don't know which way to go, I'm saying, God, let me see you. I know you're here, and I know you're pursuing me. Let me see you. And, man, just that simple prayer Sometimes my eyes are open, my ears are open that God literally had brought a gift by yesterday or someone had tried to encourage me or God had put a scripture in my mind in the morning. He was already pursuing because that's who he is. You are being pursued, my friends, by the grace of God. Second, second deal on this passion for Jesus driven by the love of God. I am being pursued uh, and um, seen and he forgives me completely, not partially. So I'll say this way. He forgives completely and immediately, not partially, partially with time and distance. Now, we have talked about this so many times, but I want to revisit it with a couple of, all these scriptures should be very common to you. But common scriptures under the anointing and power of God change lives. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. It doesn't say some, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. But that's how we, we believe. We, we think God's going to forgive me of some unrighteousness because, you know, I'm still a mess on and so forth. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. Jesus, when he died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. When it says that he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, it ends with this, all of us like sheep have gone astray, each of us turned the way, his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is in me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, who forgives all of my iniquities, not just some of them. Now, again, I do not mind being redundant on this because our minds need to be renewed and our hearts need to be renewed every day. And here is the reality. When I woke up this morning and I worshiped God and I always opened my heart up to God, God, is there anything between me and you? And, and if a little thing comes to mind, hey, had an attitude yesterday or, or this deal, glanced this way or did that, Lord, I repent of that. I bring it to your throne of grace and I receive full forgiveness, full washing so that I can have full fellowship with you now. There is not time and distance in the discipline of God. It is immediate, it is thorough, and grace is present. So right now, if we confess our sin, and you say, well, if I'm going to confess it, I know I'm going to do it again, so I won't, don't want to confess it because I want to wait till I get better before I confess sin so I can be more serious. Anybody been there? Nothing can be further from the truth. The deal is your chances of not sinning again are better with Jesus present than with you trying to get better down the line. That was very big, and some of y'all missed that. So here's what I'm going to so do. I'm gonna say, whatever 
thing you are doing and in that is a repetitive habit of your life that is called sin by the Bible. Yes, it needs to be acknowledged. Bless his heart. He's acknowledging his need. And so whatever that sin issue is, Whatever that trip up place is, yes, we've got five points and five ways and different things that you may need to do to discipline yourself. But in the end, if it is not um, ignited by grace, you're not going to get to grace. So we're going to have to come and trust in the grace of God to not send the next hour and then trust that the grace of God will be ahead of us later on today when we're tempted again, and that the power of God is based on grace, not on law, because you cannot control yourself in the end. And again, um, golly, the, the hard thing preaching is I want to just explain everything, a hundred reasons, because everybody's like, yeah, but this, this, this. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray right now, okay? This isn't the end of the sermon, but just everybody go with me. Holy Spirit, would you show us any unconfessed sin in our life right now that we need to bring to the throne of grace that we might be cleansed in this moment by grace. I'll just pause a minute. Whatever comes to mind, you just say, me, Lord, I confess that. All that means is to agree with God. God, I agree with that. I don't want that in my life. I want you. Just simply confess it and tell him that you want him. Lord, I am asking right now, anoint your word with power. Through the confession of our sin, you said, if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray the power of the gospel, the power of the cross to cleanse our hearts, to cleanse our minds, to wash away what we could not wash away on our own, not just for eternity, but the things and the habits that we struggle with. We submit to you right now. We say, we want you, Jesus. We want you. Come and love us. Come not only forgive us, but cleanse us fully, for we are yours. We are yours right now. Amen. So what that does for me is that it sets me free every day. I can live for God today. I can think about you instead of think about myself. I can, I can be alert and aware of what God might do today. I don't, I'm not trying to make up for lost time. I'm trying to be something that I'm not. I'm trying to live in the presence of God, and he's made a way for me to live there, and I want to love him there, and I want to be loved by him there. The confession of sin is the cleansing of the soul so that we have grace to run the race. Think of any natural relationship. If you feel condemned by the person you're walking with, you will eventually walk away from them because you cannot live being never enough to everybody and that's where the breakdown in human relationship is you got to cut it out if grace is not central in the relationship that does not mean accountability all these other things just so I'm not throwing out other things that are needful but what I'm trying to say is healthy relationships are based on grace 
if Laura hadn't forgiven me a thousand times, we wouldn't have a marriage. I've had to forgive her a few times as well, but it was mainly on my end. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You don't totally, and neither do I totally. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Help us to see the beauty of grace and to carry that over and to not treat one another by the law, but to treat one another with the grace that we've been given by God. So I'm being pursued and seen. I'm being forgiven. And last point is God, out of his great love for us, his passion for us, has made a covenant with us so that we will know that he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's not leaving. Hey, everybody's left somebody somewhere, but he's not leaving. He's not leaving. He made a covenant that was based on his faithfulness, and he doesn't lie. And he does not shift with the, the culture. He does not shift with the emotions of the day. He is unshakable. Says this in Ephesians 5, 29 through 32. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ in the church. He shall be joined to his wife. That is the covenant language of literally glued and cemented together forever and ever. When Jesus says, till death do us part, he already died, so he already sealed the deal forever and ever. He's not leaving. Wow. He's not leaving. When he has come to save me and I've responded to him and he sealed the covenant by the Holy Spirit, he is faithful in every way for all time. No matter what I do, he will still be there for me to turn back to. He is unmovable. Wow. Um, there's so many things that I could say about this, but let me just end with an illustration of my son-in-law, Kyle. And um, some of you guys uh, know Kyle, and uh, Kyle had a tough upbringing. His dad left when he was 10. There were two or three dads, quote unquote, in his life. A lot of brokenness. His senior year, he lived outside of his home to finish high school, came to Baylor, did ROTC to, to uh, get through college, and found the Lord in the midst of it and found a great community, this community, and people loved him and cared for him and helped restore him and renew him. And, and um, Kyle wanted to date Abby. And uh, so uh, as a wise young man, he went to Carl first, his college pastor, to say, would this be an option? <laughs> Should I even consider it? <laughs> and, uh, and Carl appropriately said, now Jimmy has high standards and they've raised Abby a certain way. And you know, are you going to walk with Jesus? Are you going to you know, walk the line? And Kyle said, well, why don't you check with Jimmy ahead of time? Uh, so Carl comes to me and, and uh, he said, hey, here's his past. Here's his deal. And hey, I don't want to give the guy hopes if you're not comfortable with that. And, and I said to Carl, I said, how is his testimony any different than Abby's? Does he love Jesus? Is he walking in the grace of God? Is he committed to the Lord? Has he proven to be faithful since, since his brokenness? Carl said, yes. I said, well, there's no difference in the testimony, um, whatever the Lord would lead. And, of course, we went through several times of meeting together and talking through life together. 
but once they got engaged and it was the week of their wedding, um, I got, I, I set Kyle down and, and a big deal for him was, you know, what does it feel like to have a father? Not what do I believe about God's faithfulness? What does it feel like? And we talked often about Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness our spirit that we were children of God. And among other things, I said, here's what it means to be a son. And I said, first of all, we're in it for life. I will be here till death do we part. Yes, you and Abby have your marriage and your covenant, but you just entered into this family and I will be here. I'm not ever going anywhere. And when you fail, and when I fail, we're gonna come to one another and never pull away from each other. Because that's what family does. Family doesn't leave, family leans in. I'll be here, I'm not going anywhere. When you fail, we'll lean in. And whatever happens, no matter how challenging it gets for either uh, one of us, this covenant commitment is not based on our own desires and promises. This is based on God and His power. So the only way we're gonna mess this up is if we pull away from Jesus. So we can't do it, we can't. And I'm crying at this point. I said, man, this is, this is the deal. I gotta know, I gotta know. We're gonna love Jesus till the end because He's all we've got. And if we have Him at the center, we're gonna not only make it, we're gonna always have enough. So that was a powerful moment, right, that, that he goes back to. He just was sharing it with me the other day after 10 plus years of marriage now. But then he kind of flipped it on me. And when they got married, uh, we had First Baptist packed out, a thousand plus people were there. And Kyle asked me the morning of, he said, hey, I'd like to say a little something before we start the service. And I'm like, okay, you know. Uh, and so I'm back there with Abby and I hear him and he walks out in front of the audience and in, in a summation, he says this. He says, um, today is a beautiful day. Today is when I marry the love of my life. Today's when I marry my bride. And she has kept herself pure and I did not. But God in his grace came and saved me and cleansed me and washed me. And when we come to this altar, this will be our first kiss <laughs> because that's how God led us in this journey because we're starting a new life. God has forgiven me. God has cleansed me and made me a pure man so that I can walk down this aisle with this pure bride and become one. Wow. And then he said, of course, to the crowd, wherever you are today and you feel impure, come to Jesus. He is our hope, He is our help, He is our redemption, He is our restoration. My passion for Jesus grows as I realize His passion for me. And that's my prayer for all of us. That we would lean into the story, that we lean in and never pull away, even today. Hey, let's stand together. And I ask the guys to start with a song called All in All. We're gonna respond here a minute. If the ministry teams can come back with you down the front. But 
just stay with us just a moment longer. Just stay focused. Think about the different revelations of Jesus we talked about today. And, and in your own heart, just out of gratitude for his grace, out of gratitude for his pursuit, out of gratitude for his covenant keeping, would you just love him this morning? Would you express your passion by singing back to him right now? And then I'll come in just a moment and lead us in ministry.